Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where we both explode. Ah! Shazam! Oh, I... That would have been cleverer given the week we're having. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. I write for The Rap. And uh, also yeah. Slash Film sometimes. Yeah, you, you should declare your outlets proudly. <laughs> we, are be, we are being published. I suppose that's it's technically nice, true. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I write a couple articles a day for, for hmm. Slash Film. You're very prolific. I admire that. Thank I write you. a few a week for Slash Film. I write uh, movie reviews. Less often than I'd like for the rap, but you can see me mm. there a few times a month. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is our podcast. We review movies together in a podcasty way. And uh, this week, on we want to stay sharp as critics. Yeah. You know, we don't get to review films in print so often. Mm. The the days of us doing that exclusively mm-hmm. like long nothing be- but print? Lo- long behind us. No. Uh, wouldn't that be nice if we could yeah. just review films in print all the time? Yeah. Uh, writing about films is a very common activity. Getting True. paid to write about films is not a common activity. Very, very difficult to do. Yeah. yeah, more and more so all the time. So, uh, you know, we do the best we can. Mm. On that note, might as well add, say it at the front since we're, we're segueing into it. Mm. Just a quick shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you, patrons. If it wasn't for our patrons, we couldn't do this. I know we have some advertising. It doesn't pay a lot. It's it's nice, yeah, but it doesn't pay a lot. We're grateful for it. We're very grateful for it, but yeah, that's uh, it's not like we, our we, bills are paid. The, those those sponsors know? have been very good to us. No, uh, and they the, have been. Yeah. And thank you to them. And thank you to everybody who has shouted out to us when, because we don't control every single ad that goes in front of our show, when we've had an ad that was like, that, like we would weird. morally object to in yeah, some way. like um, some kind of like weird political thing that we're just like, Bibbs and Whitney wouldn't like that. And it turns out we didn't. So if that ever happens, please let us know. Yeah, we, we, we will we, put the kibosh on that as quickly yeah, we, as we, we can. We can contact our advertisers and they've actually been very good about very good. listening to us and when we yeah. give that kind of input. But um, seriously, if it wasn't for the patrons, the show wouldn't be possible. So mm-hmm. I just want to say to all of our patrons over patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. I usually say it at the end, but something tells me a lot of you are probably like kind of sleepy by the end because you do long shows. <laughs> I want to say at the front now, thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you every single one of you, whether you give, uh, uh, whether you can donate $1 a month or 20 uh, we hope you're enjoying the various perks that we provide at all of those tiers, including ad-free shows, bonus podcasts, commentary tracks, Discord hangouts. Uh, it means the world to us, and it keeps all of our shows, even the free shows, alive. Mm. So if you can afford to contribute, we really would appreciate it. And if you can't, that's okay, too. Just enjoy the show. This week on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing quite a few new releases. Uh, on the big screen, we're reviewing Shazam! Fury of the Gods. On the Hulu screen, we're reviewing the new serial killer film Boston Strangler. Uh, we're also reviewing uh, the independent films La Seville, Inside, and Wildflower. Uh, I saw two of those. You know what? These, Usually it's the other way around. Yeah, Usually the, you get to see these, more than I do. These last few weeks have been a little, little difficult to get to the movies. Yeah. Um, but I did see uh, the... Well, not so big one. Ah, uh, yeah, really. Yeah, David David Sandberg made a film called Shazam! Exclamation point. Fury of the Gods, which is a sequel to Shazam! Uh, still an exclamation point. Still an exclamation point. And it's not doing well at the box mm. office, but you know what? Let's not focus on that. We'll talk about that a little bit, but we want to talk about the film itself. Uh, Shazam! The first Shazam, which was mm. also directed by David S. Sandberg, uh, who, like a lot of, like, uh, superhero uh, filmmakers. Got his start in horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did short films, like, really scary short films, and he did a pretty dang good uh, original horror film where it's based on his own short film, horror film called Lights Out. 
Yeah, n- nice premise. Bad message at the end. Ending is uh, problematic. Yeah. They that was but, uh, they, there was something they were supposed to deal with in the sequel, but then they just started doing these Shazam movies, and then they never got back around to retconning yeah, that. So, so. so yeah, there the, there was kind of a bad message right there at the end of of Lights Out, but a, a cool premise mm-hmm. in that. Um, it's it's a demon that lives in the dark, mm-hmm. and when the lights are out, it can get you. So as long as the lights are on, you're yeah. you're okay. And uh, there there were a lot of uh, fun visual things they could do with that, with people flicking lights on and off, and something yeah. moving toward them in the dark. Uh, I think they did a bit where um, was there a scene in Lights Out where the room was briefly lit by uh, the the flare muzzle of a gun, uh, the flare of a gun. Oh. I- I don't remember. That yeah, sounds, that sounds like right. That. I do remember them coming up with a lot of clever things to do with that material. Yeah. And I thought it was a very well-directed film. Mm. Um, and then when he was brought on to do Shazam, mm. I was a little surprised because Shazam has always been kind of the family-friendly mm. superhero. Uh, Shazam, uh, who was originally Captain Marvel, uh, debuted really quickly after Superman in the comics. Mm. I think it was like 1940 or something, or late 1939. And it wasn't owned by DC Comics at no. the time. It was a new independent it was, it was owned by label. Uh, it was or... called Fawcett Comics. Fawcett F-A-W-C-E-T-T. Comics, yeah. They pay homage to it in the movies. They go to Fawcett High School. Uh, Captain Marvel, in the 40s, outsold Superman. Outsold <laughs> Batman. Outsold Wonder Woman. It was the comic book. Everyone loved it. There's a there's a bit in the movie Elvis where uh, we see a young Elvis and he's mm. like playing with his friends and they're not playing Superman. They're, they're playing, playing Shazam. And if you're thinking no, to yourself, that's Warner Brothers synergy. No, that's actually more plausible mm. than, than play acting uh, Superman. Well, in fact, um, it was Captain Marvel Jr. So there were even spinoffs yeah. back at the time. Well, the uh, whole family got yeah. to be a Captain Marvel. Um, so it's a little kid uh, who is chosen by a wizard to receive all of the powers of... Of the gods, so the, the it's the wisdom of yeah, the, yeah, it's the wisdom of, of Solomon, gods, yeah. the solid so of the letter O or H, I think speed of Her- Hermes, speed of Hermes, no yeah. speed of Mercury for Shazam. oh you're right, speed of Mercury's <laughs> the, <laughs> we'll to, we'll the fires to, of Hades. I don't know. Each whatever. letter is is the first initial of of a Greek god. So yeah, the Z yeah. the Z is like the strength Zeus. of Zeus, uh, yeah. Yeah. etc. The death uh, of Hades. <laughs> that would be great. I don't remember. Anyway, but in any case. Um, very, very popular comic, very family-friendly. He was a kid in an adult body, and really, Superman was a story about sort of... Uh, I mean, well, it, was, it, was, it was catering towards kids, but it was about an adult. Yeah. It was about someone who is... They have an adult job, they have a romantic life, and but they also have this secret life. If you're aiming the story at kids, making it a story about a kid who gets to be in an adult body, like in the movie Big, except you also have superpowers, and you get to have, like, a friend who's a talking anthropomorphic cat. Uh, cool. That, that sounds like a much better deal for me when I'm nine or whatever. So Shazam was great. DC sued the shit out of it because they said it was a ripoff of Superman. It's too close to Superman, which yeah, fair. it kind of was. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if that was legally actionable, but it was, it was a ripoff. But uh, Shazam or Captain Marvel, as he was known, got taken off the stands for like 20 years from like the basically the entire Silver Age, from the fifties and the sixties, there was no Captain Marvel until DC licensed him in the nineteen seventies, and then they bought the character outright in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fucked up if you think about it. And, and I know Marvel because it's named Captain Marvel. Yeah, and, then, and Marvel Comics launched it uh, in the interim. Yeah, launched their own character named Captain Marvel because the the name was up for yeah. just open. And indeed, they had mm. they had renamed their entire comic book line. Marvel Comics. It used to be Timely Comics. Um, 
so Shazam was out of commission. Shazam went from being the number one superhero to being a character who well, a lot of people would think yeah. of as, a, as just like a, an afterthought. Like, oh, it's just this little Superman knockoff. Like, no, he was the big deal. So when they decided to make a Shazam movie, and they've been trying for a while, they eventually renamed the character Shazam to avoid the the confusion Le- legal with Marvel. Kerfuffle, yeah. yeah, and I get it. It's a weird situation, but I get it. Um, when they decided to make a movie, they gave it to this horror filmmaker, and I was like, that's an interesting approach. I wonder if he's going to be able to nail the tone. Mm. Nailed it. Perfectly. First movie, uh, right. There is... Uh, there are many different kinds of superhero movies. Indeed. Uh, they all share one pretty basic premise, and that's kind of the moral absolutism. Where oh, I was going to say a power fantasy of well, some and, kind. And, well, that's that's another element of it. Um yeah. But I, th- I feel like a lot of the Marvel comics, at mm. least in comic book form, uh, focused on actually kind of how stressful and difficult it is to be a superhero in, a, in the real world. A lot of times. Because uh, DC comics take place in these fantasy realms, Metropolis, mm. Gotham City. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man lives in New York. Yeah. Uh, he's a New Yorker. And, it, you know, in fact, if you've ever been to New York and walked down the streets with the... the uh, skyscrapers on either side of you mm-hmm. you can see somebody imagining swinging over yeah. the traffic like you can kind of see where Spider-Man i remember the first from. time i visited new york yeah. city and i looked up and i was like oh i totally get it yeah that yeah, makes a lot of sense that, some... you would totally kill to skip over the traffic that would yeah, be awesome so, so spider-man was written by somebody who was just on a busy sidewalk mm-hmm. walking down the streets of new york uh somebody who lived in la probably couldn't have invented spider-man it would have been a very year, different yeah. version of the character he definitely uh, would have had a different mode of conveyance i find it a little odd that the Marvel movies have skewed so far away from that now. It's all completely fantasy universe now. There's yeah. no real world element to those movies anymore. I mean, the last one is like the quantum realm. There's all these fantasy yeah. kingdoms and stuff. I'm trying to remember, like Spider-Man uh, has to deal with some of that, a, but then they also, bit, but then they uh, changed it so much because now he had like a billionaire benefactor mm-hmm. and it kind of really took then a he, lot of that real world edge off of them. Not, not like edginess, but mm-hmm. like just life is harder for him. Um, Iron Man kind of had that because he, but it was like, oh, it's so hard to be a celebrity, yeah, and to run a business, which I, I, it would be, but also it's not something everyone can relate to. Yeah, not necessarily the the right side <laughs> so, uh, that we're going for here. But uh, yeah. but the other thing uh, that uh, every superhero comic has in common is is that power fantasy. Yeah, that uh, a, a reader of a comic book, and a mm. lot of superhero comic books are aimed at much younger readers. Mm. I understand there's a lot for adults as well. No, no, but, no. Um, like a lot uh, of them are, not, are suitable for all audiences I'm not, as well. But. I'm not one of those people who thinks that the entire medium is for a particular age group. But I will say uh, this. Having said that, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's about people who put on bright costumes yeah, and punch the, each other. It's going to have an appeal super, to, yeah, to kids. Superhero comics in particular, which is... A lot of the commercial availability yeah. of the medium yeah. uh, is is about for kids. Yeah, it's for I'm, kids to enjoy because mm-hmm. um, kids don't have a lot of power and they mm-hmm. like to sort of project themselves into adults that do. Yeah. Uh, and who kind of live outside of rules a little bit. Yeah. So when well, you put that in live action on movies, mm-hmm. it starts to become a little problematic because those can are be. real people now breaking the rules rather than just colorful drawings. It can be. It's, it's, uh, it's a tightrope walk after yeah. a while. Yeah. The... Um, what was I going to say? But, uh, I anyway, yeah. but yeah, I agree. Like There, the, there are the, uh, plenty of superhero stories mm-hmm. that are more adult-oriented, yeah. but on some level, there should always probably be superhero stories yeah. for kids. And and I think there's uh, an appeal mm-hmm. about superheroes that a lot of the movies have kind of forgotten, and that is that sort of, not that you're cool and above mm-hmm. the law, 
but because it's fun to be a superhero. Yeah. That you get to wear you get to wear the outfit. You mm-hmm. get to fly. That kind of stuff is just sort of fun. And when well, you have a movie like Shazam, mm-hmm. the movie of Shazam. The original movie. The the David Sandberg movie. The first both, the first movie. Yeah. I got the first movie from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh the the main character is named Billy Batson. And he's like 14 years old in that first movie, I think. He's pretty young. Adolescent. Pretty young. Yeah. And he gets to not only be a superhero, but he's in the body of an adult all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. He transforms into a different actor. So now he's got all the about. privileges that are ascribed yeah. to people who look like adults. Uh, and one of the great appeals of that first Shazam movie is he thinks like a kid and he behaves like a kid. Yeah. Even, Even when he's, he's an a adult. superhero. It's like the movie Big. Uh, Zachary Levi, who plays Shazam, is great. Now... Yeah. He's said some problematic things as a person in real yeah. life, but uh, when he's playing that part of Shazam, when he's playing an adolescent... He knows how to do that part. He knows how to do it par- perfectly. Yeah. He's in that big, weird outfit with the white cape. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can shoot lightning from his hands, and he doesn't know what to do with that. The first thing he and his, yeah. his uh, uh, brother think to do when right. he gets his superpowers is, you're an adult now, let's get some beer. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing they can think to do. It's, I like, think, it's like Teen Wolf. It's like, yeah. I would like a keg. The... Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's out of his element and doesn't know how to fight bad guys mm-hmm. while still trying to enjoy being a superhero mm-hmm. makes Shazam tap into something really primal about superheroes. Yeah. And to my eye, Shazam is one of the better superhero movies, just period. I would agree. I think it works on a variety of different levels. I think, first off, the cast is great. Mm. The story is actually really strong, and it's something that I think a lot of modern superhero movies don't necessarily do very well, which is actually tell like a rich, thematically resonant story throughout all the different elements of it. Like, what is that first Shazam movie? It's about a a kid who's trying to uh, find a place where he's accepted. Mm-hmm. He imagines that's with the mom who abandoned him, but it eventually is his yeah, foster yeah. family. And who is the villain? It's a, a man who was never accepted as a kid. Mm-hmm. There's a nice little symmetry there. Yeah, yeah. And, it and, actually and feels like everything is connected and everything's yeah, smart. Very and, sort of screenwriterly that the character... Yeah. Um, but, but not in a false way. In a no. way that just feels like we're actually exploring a theme. Mm. And as a result, the film... And the film stands on its own. It's got a little reference to Superman at the end. But it mm. stands on its own. It's a story that would be worth telling if superhero universes didn't exist. Yeah. It's yeah. just a good story. And that's the thing. Shazam's always had a good premise. Mm-hmm. He's always had good characters. Great. And I honestly think that even though, like, you could point to it and say as a superhero movie goes, it lacks spectacle. Uh, uh, maybe so. I, I, mean, there's, I, I don't think it's much of a critique, but it's no, there, it's true. It's that's not some, a uh, you know giant film. There's some good some they fun appear, fights. They, yeah, they only appear briefly, but there's some good scary monsters in it. Yeah. Uh, the monsters in the first movie are the seven deadly sins, mm. like monster versions of the seven deadly sins. And they're actually so. scenes where they like kind of go to town on like a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And it's kind of dark and good. Yeah, I, and, uh, I like that that original Shazam movies isn't afraid to go to some harrowing places either plot wise mm. with like seven deadly sins being all creepy or emotionally. Like when a uh, young Billy Batson finally tracks down his mom mm. And she just didn't want... She's just not a good mom. Yeah, it's like, well, she's not, why, she's why, not good, why did you abandon me? I didn't want a kid. Yeah, I, I literally... Yeah. I, it wasn't an accident. I haven't been trying to find you these whole years. I didn't want to be your mom. Yeah. And that's a really heavy thing to put in a movie that is ostensibly aimed at kids. But kids get that. Yeah. And the good news is that Billy doesn't just have 
that happened to him and that's all there is to it. It's he discovers the importance of found family. Mm. You know, people can be really, really terrible, but people can also be really, really wonderful. And he's got a whole bunch of really, really great uh, foster brothers and sisters who all get superpowers at the end. And it's really fun. And I love that movie to pieces. It's only grown on me over time. I've rewatched it a few times. Hell, when I was competing in the movie trivia showdown, the last team I was on, this championship team, where we went on a hell of a run, our team name was literally Shazam. Uh-huh. Which was originally going to be an acronym for our favorite like filmmakers okay. with those letters, but that ne- we never uh, had an opportunity to actually announce that because <laughs> the show always came up. So yeah. we just, we just, we just C- never. Can you it. can you reveal them now? I try to remember who exactly it was. The M was definitely Miyazaki. Okay. The Z was Zemeckis because we didn't have a lot of options for Z. Look, uh, Zhang Yimou, uh, first name, but you know. I, I guess uh, it wasn't who we were thinking about at the time. Um, S is probably. His, I guess Scorsese, probably. Yeah, probably. I, Scorsese, I Scorsese. Right. was Scorsese. That's definitely Scorsese. Uh, H, who was H? Hmm. Uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. I honestly don't. I honestly don't well, recall. Well, who's who's a famous filmmaker? Who's like Jack Hill, maybe? Or no, um... it wasn't Jack Hill. Uh, it was someone. Anyway, it, it's I. If I'd prepared, I would have had that in front of me. I could okay. I could have texted my old partner, and we'd we'd know. But in any case, yeah. So I love that hmm. movie. That movie is really really great. Uh, a few years have gone by. The movie wasn't a huge hit, but it was a critical success, mm. and everybody really liked it. And I assume it probably did well on ancillary markets, so they did another one. This is called Shazam: Fury of the Gods, and in this one, it's been a few years. Billy Batson is getting old enough that he's about to age out of the foster care system, and he's starting to get really insecure about that. Mm. He's worried that his foster family is going to abandon him now that they're not legally required to be around him. There's no reason to believe that, but he's been rejected so many times in his life. And there's a really yeah. cute bit at the beginning where he's talking to he's talking to a doctor like he's a therapist, but he's actually Billy Batson's pediatrician. Right. But he's talking to him as Shazam and pretending not to be Billy Batson, and it's kind of funny. But he's talking about how, like, you know, I'm just I'm really nervous about these things. I have no one to talk to. And the mm. guy's like, well, tell me about stuff that happened in your childhood. And he's like, well, oh, and like, he tells him something happened to him, like, in the last movie. Like, well, my mother abandoned me. Uh, I was deeply traumatized by all these violent attacks. I got uh, shoved into positions of huge responsibility. And the guy's like, yeah, no wonder you're feeling kind of messed up, man. <laughs> like, if you've got imposter syndrome and you're, and you're afraid of rejection, that's going to be a guiding principle. And I'm watching this and I'm like... Okay, movie. Yeah, well done. Yeah, was, just you, address those things right up front. You've, and, you've established the, uh, that there are emotional stakes to this that are still relevant, and that our hero is going through something. I'm with you he, so far. Here, here's something that's really unusual about Fury of the Gods. Mm. Um, Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batson, mm. barely in the movie. We Honestly, needed, we needed a lot more of him. Like Zachary Levi's fine, uh-huh. but no, it's like Asher Angel. Like, is like if he had any less screen time, it'd be a cameo. Yeah, he's yeah. in like maybe four scenes. In this entire and, uh, film, and, and you feel his life. He's a good actor. I well, get that he grew up, and they grew up, uh-huh. but he's also that's also a plot point. So who cares? He he grew up, and yeah. he's actually when when Asher Angel's on on camera, Billy Batson mm-hmm. is sort of like shy, a little bit inse- in, mm. insecure. He has like a little bit of a, a like a heroic quality to him. He's like becoming he stands an adult, up for, the, for yeah. what's right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. When he becomes Shazam, Zachary Levi is playing kind of a different character. Yeah, uh, he's playing a, a lot more of a, a little bit more of a laid back kind of character version of Billy Batson. Well, he's like Billy Batson who has fewer things to worry about because right now he's a superhero. Mm. On one hand, he's got this, uh, he, he's in a whole new body. He's mm. actually got like a totally different 
uh, feel to the world. You when you physically feel taller, it can affect your mood. No. So I I thought that was kind of interesting that as Billy Batson, he's ironically more confident now than he is as Shazam because he feels like he doesn't deserve to be a superhero. Yeah, and. As a result, Shazam, the the Zachary Levi version, is actually more insecure yeah. than Billy Batson. I feel there's so much more they could have done with that. There's a lot they could have done. And um, one of the conceits of this movie is he, uh, he and his brothers and sisters are now yeah. all Shazams. Yeah. There's six of them. Yeah. And uh, they all have very similar outfits, but they're all different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the white capes. I love that they're, yeah, they try to make the outfits look kind of florid and regal, because that's the idea of a superhero cape. It's supposed to look... Fabulous. Yeah, yeah. It's it's supposed to evoke royalty. That's why the the wrestlers mm. wore them. Yeah. A lot of those early superheroes were fashioned after like strongmen and wrestlers yeah. from the nineteen twenties and thirties. Yeah. So you know, they hence the idea of like a skin tight outfit, a singlet, yeah. and a cape. It's supposed yeah. to be regal. There's there's two uh, kinds of capes basically in comic books, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. There's Superman, who is very regal, very mm. larger than life, and then Batman, where it's basically like a glor- it's a glorified yeah. cloak. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's supposed to like you can sh- you can. Sc- in the shadows yeah. with my dark cape you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing those are the two yeah, you're either trying to call attention to yourself or you're trying not to but they, but they I mean over the decades they've kind of like lost those meanings now they're just sort of affects well and very but, uh, few and very in movies very few people even bother with capes it's yeah. pretty much just Batman, Superman and Doctor Strange at this point yeah, and, and Shazam and, I guess but like I, yeah, I, um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate whenever the costume designers think to have cape fasteners as yeah. part of the costume yeah uh, I, in the first Shazam it, sadly it's absent here he had a little collar yeah on oh, the I cape. missed the collar yeah, the collar was nice. that was really cool they, um, they had subtle costume changes they're fine they're, they're, I, I think they're I prefer fine. the original but that's fine but uh, yeah, all, all uh, he and his brothers and sisters are all Shazams, and they all become adults. Although mm-hmm. um, his older sister mm-hmm. is Mary. now Mary is now an adult. I think she's like nineteen or twenty now. Yeah. So when she becomes a Shazam, she remains the same now. Which suggests that these are all their adult bodies that they're being shunted into. Yeah. Like this is who you're going to grow up to be. Yeah. And uh, there there are a few issues with that, but I guess it's mostly yeah. fine. I took exception to the way. Uh, they, there's this one of the younger kids. I forget the uh, the character's name, mm. uh, but he's a large kid. Yeah, and uh, they, they had a whole thing about how uh, so, uh, he, Pedro is the character. Pedro, name, yeah. yeah, Pedro. Pedro was is a large kid, and when he's a Shazam, he's very muscular. But he's like in the last one, he was more buff than all the others. Uh-huh. And I've heard people argue that that's because he wanted to be more athletic, and he was like working to like shed the weight, and like that was his goal and um, it was about him achieving his goals and it wasn't this kind of like ableist kind of fat phobia kind of thing where it's yeah, like yeah, oh well, you, would the ideal version of you isn't fat anymore and i will say this this movie kind of addressed why he was looking at all those muscle magazines yeah. and i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate that the the reframing of that and uh, i will not go take it any further because it happens later in the movie I appreciate no, they, that they, they kind they of address it. it. Right, like it's no. in the first ten minutes, they reveal it. No, it's they, they flat out say it later in the movie. The, later, they say it in the movie, but yeah. like at the beginning, it's like, okay, that's that's Yeah, exactly. But you um, know what? Nice save. <laughs> nice save. You <laughs> well, took something also, um, potentially problematic. I agree, I agree mm-hmm. that they're alternate readings. And you just, you made it okay. I know that I like a, a, a big part of superhero comics, again, if this is a little kid sort of projecting themselves into mm. uh, adult bodies, yeah. a, a big reason why superheroes are designed the way they are, that is, mm. lithe and muscular, yeah. is because there's sort of that 
the, it, a powerful looking bodies. Yeah, it's like a He-Man Bodybuilders, you know? that kind of the yeah. body, bodybuilders and athletes. Yeah. That's the physique they're going for. Yeah. And, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word idealized, but that's no. kind of what... Powerful. Are, physically powerful. Phys- physically powerful. Yeah. So... Uh, kids don't often feel physically powerful, yeah. even when you're even when you're a fit kid. Especially, you're small. You yeah. Also, you know, also I, I was I was an out of shape kid. I was a sure. chub, chubby child, and I would love to have projected yeah. myself into a very powerfully muscular body. But I think when you're a little but, kid, you always yeah. fantasize about stuff like being taller, yeah, being yeah. able to do more on your own. So, so uh, you know, th- there I there is an issue with that because it it is ableist. Uh, yeah. But that's something that they were ableist when they were making those comics back yeah. in the 1930s. Like, for example, Freddy, uh, uh, yeah. played by Jack Dylan Grazer, who gets a lot more screen time than Asher Angel in this movie. And he's great. I like him a lot as an mm. actor. And I like the character. Um, he, I forget if they ever actually say what his disability is, but he walks with a crutch. Yeah. Uh, and when he's a Shazam, he doesn't. Yeah. And there's something to be said for like, well, again, maybe that's not the healthiest they, way to look at that, yeah. but... Okay. Well, there, there was some lines of dialogue in the first Shazam movie about mm-hmm. how uh, Billy was given the Shazam power and he he didn't have it yet, and he said mm-hmm. in dialogue, "Freddie didn't have it yet. Freddie didn't yeah. have Shazam powers yet, and he didn't get them until later in the movie." And uh, he actually said, "You you are now in this sort of idealized body. I I mm-hmm. love this powerful body of yours. I I walk with a crutch. I I can't." walk without this mm-hmm. and now you can fly and that's really unfair to someone like me yeah uh it, and that's, it, and that's it, a, a one way of feeling about yeah, it but and it's that, other, and that, there are other ways of feeling i feel like it was presented very earnestly but yeah. it, it doesn't really address his disability very directly and in fact mm-hmm. in this movie his disability is ignored for a lot a of lot of the time he's bullied for it yeah. for, and those bullies had zero consequences that's mm-hmm. a really shitty principle played by Diedrich bader uh, I love Diedrich Bader. Short role, but he's good, uh, mm-hmm. and I think he's a really shitty principal because he says, "Yeah, I was bullied when I was a kid too," and I'm like, "Yeah, so why aren't you disciplining the bullies mm-hmm. now that you have the authority to do so? What yeah. the hell is up with that shit?" I think it's just the reality that bullies don't get disciplined. <laughs> I, yeah, but this is this is a power uh, fantasy. Yeah, it's a power I mean, fantasy. In any case, uh, the main plot of the movie. Uh, is there's a bunch of new villains in town. They are played by Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. Uh, they steal the broken staff of the wizard Shazam. Billy broke it at the end of the last movie. Turns out, much like at the end of The Ring, you weren't supposed to do yeah, that. When he broke the staff, it uh, opened a seal to the god realm, and, and yeah. uh, vengeful gods could now pass through. According, so. according to the lore, uh, the wizard Shazam had sealed up the god realm and magic, which they're pretty explicit about, uh, so that none of it could get into the human realm except through that staff. Uh, I kind of wish they told the makers of Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, and Suicide Squad that there was supposed to be no magic. Well, uh, in Suicide Squad, Mm -hmm. uh, the the Enchantress was already on Earth. Uh Uh-huh. Remember, they broke open that thing that they found in a cave, so she was already there for, like, thousands of years. So she didn't come Uh, in. She was already there. Okay, that's a little thin, but I'll Wonder Woman, uh... Ares is there. Immortal goddesses. Like I said, Ares was there, but we don't know how long Ares was Uh, there. It's pretty thin. I'm just saying it feels... It feels same like the, the kind of thing maybe you shouldn't be dealing in plot absolutes. Same with that uh, that magic rock from yeah. uh, eighty four. Yeah. Like, that, like that was that already there for a long time. It was like this an ancient thing. There were there are leftovers from you know an, what? an older time. I'm gonna let it go. Um, anyway, they want they want the staff back because uh, the wizard stole the power of the gods. They want the power of the, the gods. The wizard back who is uh, Jimon Hansu. Jimon Hansu, uh, and he uh, and so they want to take the power of the gods back. 
from the Shazams. And there's actually half the movie, I don't give a shit about any of this. It feels <laughs> like just plot. Yeah, it's, it's just it's an excuse to get them to fight stuff. Well, and it's it's crap. Even and, though they have really yeah. charismatic performers yeah. playing playing the villains, because Helen Mirren can do a lot. She's very she can very do talented. Anything. She's Helen Mirren. She's not interested in being here. No, uh, she's not selling it. She's there's clearly one just, bit. There's uh, one bit where I think Helen Mirren. Decided, all right, today I'll earn my paycheck. And mm. it's a monologue she has in front of a sandwich in which she just says, okay, you, you don't think that what you're doing is any big deal because you didn't steal my powers. Uh, uh, you just sort of found them. Yeah, but here's the deal. Still imagine mine. imagine yeah. if someone broke into your house, stole the most valuable thing in your entire family that kind of defined your entire family, that was the most important thing to you in all of the universe, and they they dropped it on the way out. And then your neighbors picked it up, and they won't give it back. Mm. I'm still mad at you. <laughs> yeah. And it's, honestly, she sells it so well that all of a sudden, I actually start caring about their plight. Yeah. Because and, uh, it's just, she just acts it. She's actually yeah. allowed to act for once yeah, in this and, movie. And and Lucy Liu, I've never seen Lucy Liu sort of like swing dramatically. I've seen her mostly in like genre films. I mean, uh, uh, that great uh, uh, scene in Kill Bill. Mm. Where uh, she kills like one of her guys, like that's kind of like a big moment. Like, I it's guess, it's a big but... moment, but you know it's like it's yeah. a, a melodramatic moment, it's an action movie moment. Uh, but she she's charismatic as a performer. Yeah, she, she can like really well. sell those big moments really well. She can be yeah. very big, and here she she's not allowed to be. And um, mm. there's a there's a third daughter of of mm. Atlas. These yeah. are the daughters of Atlas. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to reveal who it is because it's kind of a twist. It's not um, much of a twist, and it happens kind of early in the movie, though. Okay, Rachel Ziegler is yeah. is the third character. She yeah. at, at first it looks like she's just a classmate of Freddy's. This is in the trailer, so yeah. I don't feel bad about it. I think, it was uh, but it's revealed later on that she's the third sister, and um, it's pretty pretty obvious, frankly. And and she doesn't. She's supposed to be like the more hum, humane character. She's the youngest yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Rachel Ziegler is also pretty young yeah um she's good uh, again she, the movie doesn't ask much of her it's yeah. a shame but so like, they, know, they don't get good get sort of paycheck, like i guess character villain moments i feel like i got bigger moments from like saturday morning cartoons where yeah. they actually got to like snarl and say dramatic things yeah uh here mm, they're, they're not doing they're a bit anything, of an afterthought they're not doing anything particularly exciting in terms of like until maybe the end in terms of like maybe creating set pieces or whatever the, the fights aren't that interesting. Rachel Ziegler has like kind of a teleportation power that looks kind of neat, but mm. that's as far as I'll go. It just looks neat, yeah. It's... Yeah, but the, the action sequences aren't that interesting until the end of the movie, and even then I think they're only interesting conceptually. Um, again, their, their motivations are, they just feel like plot. They don't feel important. Unlike the first film where it felt like everyone's motivations were really emotional and kind of connected to each other and it felt like a complete story. Here, it kind of feels like, you remember at the end of the Avengers where Thanos showed up and mm -hmm. he was like, ah, I'm going to get those Infinity Gems. Yeah. And you think, okay, cool. So the next one will have Thanos. That's really exciting. And then the ne and then they say, oh, by the way, the next one's Ultron. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I like Ultron, but I was kind of thought we were going somewhere oh. with some connective tissue. And, and the, then it turns and they, out, and they no. saved Thanos for later. Like yeah. they kept bringing him back. Just but Age of Ultron, or... even though there's some there's some okay stuff in that movie, like you know James oh, Spader's kind of fun in that movie. Uh, James Spader's fun in that movie. I'll say I'll say that much. That's yeah. as much as I'll say. I've... <laughs> That's all I'm going to say for that uh, movie. James Spader played a character on uh, The Office. This oh, kind of yeah. like kind of hedonistic like 
bloviating kind of a character. So James Spader. He played a, that's he played kind the, of what he does best. He played a, a, the kind of role that James Spader is really good at. And yeah. um, uh, somebody took that the dialogue from The Office and dubbed Avengers. Oh, okay, that's fine. And, the, and they added like that robot, because yeah. he's a robot in that one, so yeah. added, like the robot voice effect. And it's weird how well it works. Sure. Like all, all these like weird monologues he has about like, going to like eyes wide shut orgies. <laughs> Like oh, you're you're never get away with this Ultron, you know. We were like sitting there with meat juices dripping down our chins in these hedonistic orgy <laughs> situations, and it's like that's kind of what I mean. That it's makes a lot more sense for Ultron. It's a David Spader delivery system. That's yeah. kind of what that movie is. But what is this? It kind of just like it didn't feel like a natural extension of where we left off. Yeah, and this doesn't either. It feels like we just brought in some random villains so that we can get to kind of where the status quo is at the end of the movie. Which I can appreciate, but it feels like the stopgap. The main stories aren't very interesting. The what few emotional stories we have are completely interrupted by the plot. Mm. The visual effects are aren't, are okay, but we don't have this sense of wonder. There's like a, we're doing yeah. all these things. We got all these like monsters from Greek mythos. We got manticores and cyclopses mm. and all this shit at the end. And they, they, and move, the, and they and move too quick. They yeah. move too quick. They feel kind of weightless. It just generally feels like the movie isn't impressed by them, and frankly, neither of the characters. They're mm. impressed by a magic fountain pen earlier in the movie. Which I, it's like early Harry Potter kind of a yeah, vibe to it. And I'm not gonna lie, I would buy that pen. The, the pen, the pen is the really cool. Fun. There's I, a, I like the, the pen, pen the, and they, the pen has a name, so it's practically a character. It's, Steve. it's just a pen. It's, it's a pen it's, named it's Steve. A pen named Steve. I would. I, uh, I like the pen, and they're like, "Wow, look at that pen!" And then they're like confronted with like manticores and cyclops. Is like, here we go again. Mm. And I'm like, they're like kind of impressed by one of them, but like the others, mm. yeah. it just we're, we're, special effects in this movie don't feel special. And it really reminded well, me of how like the old Ray Harryhausen movies, because mm. everything was really difficult to achieve, they found the maximum angles mm. to, really to really show, show everything yeah. off so that it that, felt impressive. That's been a big issue with special effects in general. Like yeah. they, they put all this time and energy into them and they, they don't bother filming them in an interesting or dynamic kind of a way. Yeah. Uh, there's, the edits are too fast, and Often, yeah. uh, there's not much of a chance to really just sort of stop and look. And a lot of the times, and, the uh, characters treat them like they're blasé. Yeah. There's uh, something to be said for uh, just sort of slowing down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I've dumped on Star Trek Picard a lot in, mm-hmm. in recent years because the first two seasons suck. <laughs> uh, but the third season takes place mostly on a ship. Mm. There's an entire episode where they get to sort of contemplate things and have conversations slow down the pace a little bit and we can appreciate the space we're in for a lot longer and I, um, yeah i feel like the two big super successful like blockbuster spectaculars we had last year for all their flaws uh, did that like top gun maverick knew like you know what's cool all these all these planes we're gonna have all these open wide shots yeah. we're gonna have lo- longer really takes where they're them. zipping by we're gonna like yeah. mix the sound really loud so you can enjoy the planes yeah. a- avatar and 2 the av- is the avatar, exact same yeah. thing it's basically there's a the- whole sequence where they're just swimming yeah and, and you know looking what? at all the fish it looks really cool it looks amazing it looks impressive and, and the lord of the rings movies used to do this as well they would literally a character would say listen i know we're trying to like sneak through the minds of moria but this room is really cool mm. we're gonna raise the orchestra and i'm gonna turn up the light a little bit just so we can go wow this is neat yeah and you know what it is neat and those moments really help yeah there's um 
I, I know the director's a creep, but I'm very fond of Valerian for yeah. that very reason. Yeah, there, a, there's, it there's, is a spectacular. There's, That's true. Uh, there's all these wonderful spectacular shots, and the editing is just slow enough yeah. that you can look at things yeah uh superhero movies no interest in that very uh, rarely like I, we, yeah, we just had that ant-man so. movie it's like we're gonna go into this fantasy kingdom can we see it? live in it for a little bit yeah. can, can we, we look at it get, a, get an idea of what yeah. it is what, what the society is like no we don't get yeah. that and uh there is one thing in, uh in terms of special effects mm. There's a wooden dragon in this movie. Oh, you like the dragon? I like the dragon. It's oh, like I, big tattered wings. It's kind of like a horror it. movie dragon. It roars at people and like it roars fear out at them. And there's a I few, thought that was a cool idea. few cool moments that with that. I like. I thought the dragon looked pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I was a bit I get it. And I'm not like a dragon guy. I don't. Have I love like movie a, a fondness for dragons, but I, I like that dragon. I love movie dragons. It wouldn't even be in my top ten. It's okay. I don't mean to be a dick about it. I'm just like it's like it's fine. It's the Thrax pejorative, but whatever. Oh, what, what could be from Mythrax right? but uh That's the dragon from Dragon Slayer. If you've never seen it, the dragon is amazing. It, yeah, it's uh, yeah. achieved with what they called uh, at the time go motion animation. Yeah. That's stop motion with a certain kind of photographic blur, so it doesn't yeah. have that jerkiness. Yeah, basically, uh, to it. it looks of, just a little bit more real. Basically, it's yeah. like instead of just taking like a still image of something, it's actually moving a little bit as mm. you do it, so that when you put it all together, it doesn't have that kind of herky jerky quality you sometimes yeah, get yeah. in stop motion, which can be a great effect, and sometimes it works beautifully. But they yeah, used it for yeah. they used it for the Tauntauns and Empire Strikes Back as well. Mm-hmm. It just makes them look a little smoother. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't go nice. with it because you know other other techniques sort of became more popular. Yeah, sure. What I like about the new Shazam is okay. still the characters. Yeah. I, I like Shazam. I like Billy Batson. I like Freddie a lot. Um, I like the relationships between the kids uh, when they're kids and when they're superheroes. Right. Uh, the way that they're sort of fighting to be a team, and they actually are pretty good as a superhero team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know they're not polished because they're still mm. just kids. Yeah, they're kind of easy. There's there's a good bit at the beginning where they have to like rescue people from this like bridge disaster, and they successfully rescue everyone. And then there's a bit where they're just like, okay, now let's try to save this bridge, and they just mm. cuts to the bridge; it's collapsed. It has already collapsed. I'm like, they couldn't save the bridge. They're, they're not structural engineers. Yeah. They're, not, <laughs> they're just little kids. Yeah, they're they're doing pretty yeah. good, all things considered. But you know, uh, so I like the kids I like, too. I yeah. think the cast the cast is great. And and I like that the adult actors who play the superhero versions of the kids mm-hmm. are are believable as kids. They got the right memo. Yeah, like they um, do the assignment. Especially uh, Megan Good mm. plays essentially uh, plays a nine year old. Yeah, she's the youngest one. Yeah, she. Yeah. I, I think she's like seven, eight, or nine. She's pretty little. Mm-hmm. She still still likes unicorns, and she's great as as an adult. Yeah, like remembers to have that sort of awestruck quality of a little child yeah uh there's a scene later on uh with uni- with unicorns because mm-hmm. unicorns also show up in that finale but uh in in this universe unicorns are evil mm. and uh it includes some of the worst product i, I was about to while. say it is shameless the way they they do some product placement yeah uh, in exactly. a way that evokes et in the worst possible way yeah um, uh, so a, a lot of the plot stuff not so interesting. The character is good. The premise is still good. It's a lot weaker than the first one. Yeah. Because it feels really perfunctory. And I think if a movie like this had come out outside of the auspices mm. of this wave of superhero movies we've been writing for 20 years. Give or take. Like yeah. About you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. It would have been laughed out of theaters. No one would have cared because of how sloppy it is. Mm-hmm. If this if this was the uh, fir- this is my this is my sequel test. Yeah. If this was the first movie, yeah, would it have been a hit? Yeah, and that's not uh, that's not a test. It doesn't mean like it's a bad movie. Yeah. A lot of good sequels aren't as good as the original, 
But I, for me, that's often the test of a great sequel, mm. which is, is it still that good? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is not. And I, I, I think you could probably, you couldn't say that about a lot of the the, the Avengers movies, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, doesn't, a few, uh, a few. There are very few of those movies that could have started it. I would say, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously Iron Man. Iron Man. I would say Guardians of the Galaxy stands on its own. Uh, maybe so. The first one stands on its own. Yeah. Black Panther, definitely. Black Panther, for sure. You have to rework um, some of the plot. But I'm, like, I'm fond of Eternals, but I'm one of the only ones. Uh, I don't think it would have been a hit on its own. I think it's No, weird. I guess not. It wouldn't have been yeah. a hit. It would have probably been just as good, but I think it wouldn't have been a hit. I, I, yeah. I like how sort of like ancient yeah. and weird and like the big, sci- like, the big sci-fi ideas in Eternals are, are really cool You, you like me. it more than I do, uh, but uh, I also like it. So mm. like I'm with you on uh, that. The, the superhero stuff is the least interesting. Agreed. But yeah. Captain America, First Avenger. I didn't suppose. It stands um, on its own. It's fine. I, I guess so. I, I I think they didn't... And again, this is just me, but I, I think they didn't make the character very interesting. Uh, Captain America has always been a very dull character to me, and I think the movie didn't do him any favors. Um, but I, again, I, I understand I'm, I'm in the vast minority in that I don't want to get any further in the weeds than we already are. Yeah. Um, so th- this one, f- yeah, it feels like... It's relying on a lot of really old screenwriting tropes, the mm-hmm. way they treat the villains, the way the super... Like, they're trying to work some themes in here. Yeah. But it feels very artificial. It feels very screenwriting feels very in a forced. way that I don't like. And, it feels uh, forced. It feels cluttered. Yeah. And it feels like it lost the thread. It doesn't it lost really that work. the well, of, of that first movie. It doesn't work as its own story. It doesn't feel like this story mm. needed to be told. It feels like these pieces needed to be put together the way they are at the end of the movie. Yeah. And that makes it feel kind of artificial. Mm. I kind of, I, I don't dislike I, it. Like, I, 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 it's, it's a very mixed negative to yeah. me because there's so many things that I like about it, but they're all holdovers from the original. Mm. I feel a way about this film. I feel like this is not a good superhero movie. It's not a terrible superhero movie, but it's not a good superhero movie. Um, however, it's not so bad. It doesn't, like, hurt anything. And if this was... and I, It's making so little money, I'll be surprised if we get another one anytime soon. Um, if this was a blip, like, okay, we did this one, we made a few mistakes, we learned from them, the third one can be great again. There's no reason, yeah, based on what this movie does or where it leaves us, that well, they could the, make another good Shazam. They story. didn't yeah. hurt the characters or their ongoing story arc. It just felt like a sloppy, not very well put together, uh, uh, studio driven mess, yeah. rather than the original, which felt like a story that, if you took away the budget, would have still been a great movie. Mm. You could have done this as a Sundance movie, just removed all the big action sequences and had it done on the level of, I don't know, something like James Gunn's Super, and it still would have been a good story, and I yeah. still would have been really invested in it. Uh, here, it felt like they put too much emphasis on the spectacle. The spectacle wasn't very spectacular, and yeah, we just got, got lost. It's a shame. It's, it, it, it is a pity. Um, it, it's not doing well at the box office. No, making it's very little money. Badly, um, it's... It, you know, cost over $120 million to make. Still uh, pretty it's, cheap uh, for a superhero movie. As I'm these, sure as make these it, things go, I'm, yes. I'm sure but, internationally at least it'll make its money back. Well, but may, like, maybe yeah, so. Yeah. Um, I uh, I think we're finally uh, seeing the, the the proper contraction of, of the dominance of the genre. And by proper, uh, I don't think you mean like, you know, I don't like them, it's bad, get rid of it, but just this could only well, grow for so long. Uh 
a, lo- you, a lot of critics. Is, growth yeah. is not permanent. Gro- growth, growth is gro- not permanent. You, yeah, you things go up and down. Uh, there's going, there was going to be a time at some point where these aren't as popular as they once were. And I think we're finally seeing the inflection points happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been predicting it for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. This That's all downhill from here. Surely. I, I think it was... Um, uh, I forgot who it was. It might have been A.O. Scott. Um, you had to give me more information to go who, on. Who wrote uh, a review of uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, mm. uh, which I know a lot of people like. Uh, and it was a very negative review just because yeah. uh, at, at that point, uh, the reviewer was just tired of it. It's tired of yeah. these kinds of stories with these kinds of characters. And sure. uh, even before then, people were saying it this is huge now, but it's going to contract pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept on going for another decade. There was like, yeah. a huge amount of this stuff. And everybody said, when is this going to start wearing out? And uh, after a while, they just gave up saying that. It's like, kinda, you yeah. know what? It's kind of here to There's stay. There's no such thing as superhero fatigue. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I think the same way Iron Man, mm. because Iron Man was made, and that was a hit. Yeah. But the superhero genre like continued to grow a little bit thereafter. It just kept getting bigger yeah, and bigger. Kept getting for a while, bigger yeah. and bigger. Yeah. And uh, so, but Iron Man was the one that kind of like cracked everything open. I understand there was like X Men and Spider Man before mm-hmm. that, but Iron Man was the one that introduced the shared superhero universe thing at the end. And yeah. that, and what that did was not only do we like the movie, but it increased our enthusiasm for not just more in general, but specifically more of this. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, so Iron Man sort of pushed that door open, and by the yeah. time we got to Avengers, which was didn't come out for four extra years, uh, that was the biggest movie of all time. It was. Uh, when it came out. Yeah. Um, there was going to be a movie at some point that came at just the right time, that was going to tank, and incorporate everything that we've known about superhero movies, that was a sign that everything was starting to close. Mm-hmm. That film was Morbius. <sighs> Morbius. Yeah. Shared universe stuff. Connected yeah. to the Spider-Man universe, yeah. had all of the elements that people like about superhero movies, and did them all badly. Yeah, because it's a badly written movie. Yeah, it had a the, the big twist at the end, it had a connection mm-hmm. to the Marvel universe because mm-hmm. it had the stuff from, uh, uh, from the, the last Spider-Man the, movie. Bring, uh, not the, uh, the Vulture. Vulture the Vulture showed up. Yeah, they yeah. had a cameo from a known actor. Yeah, the trailers and, even really pushed the Spider-Man angle, even though he is not in the movie at all. Yeah, except for wait, one so, quick mention from Michael Keaton yeah. on paper. Should have worked. Should have at least made Venom numbers. Like, yeah. not huge, but did okay. And uh, didn't, didn't do shit. Didn't, didn't do a lot. There are, there are external factors with Morbius. Here, here's my... Well, I, I agree uh, with you and I disagree Mor- with you. Well, Morbius came at a time yeah. at the end of a year when mm. theaters were closed. Yeah. And that hurt the genre a lot because they were rep- uh, re- uh, reliant on uh, those kinds of opening box office numbers. Constant and, enthusiasm. Constantly uh, yeah. re-upped. And I think the, it, it, it's a couple of things. I think... On one hand, the pandemic, kind of like until Top Gun came out, mm-hmm. even the big hits, okay, with the exception of Spider-Man, until Top Gun came out, the bigger hits still weren't that big. Yeah. Spider-Man was huge, Spider-Man No Way Home, gigantic, uh, but afterwards, we hit a lull again, and then Top Gun kicked in, and then we started getting more and more movies, making what movies used to make. Mm-hmm. Is it back to the pre-levels? No. But it's looking a lot better for theaters than it did two years ago. That's for fucking sure. Um, I think Morbius was bad. And I think we all agreed that Morbius was bad. But yeah. if it was just Morbius, it would have been a blip. It would have been a, well, we you know we spent yeah. three well, years advertising like, like this I, thing. Yeah. And people just lost enthusiasm after a while. 
Morbius was not destined to be a hit. We'll cut our losses. They can't all be winners. Mm. Morbius is fine. But when you factor in... A lot of the other stuff that's been going on. That's the deal. Uh, One dud wasn't going to kill anything. No. It had to be a wave of, with a few exceptions, a wave of disappointments Mm. that basically made these superhero movies, especially from the big studios like Marvel and to a lesser extent DC, which has always been a little spottier, um... Like Aquaman was huge, but yeah. Wonder Woman 84 wasn't. Yeah, yeah again, that was again, that was pandemic, but even just critically, people didn't like it very much. Uh, Birds of Prey, critically quite liked, actually, mm-hmm. but that didn't do well in the theaters. Uh, DC has always been a little bit of a mess, but the consistency of Marvel in particular uh, carried us through. Like, at the very least, even the worst Marvel movie is still watchable, right? Mm. And then... We had uh, some of them pretty rotten. Some of them pretty rotten, but they're still just in a general movie matinee. You could have them on, and you're not mad at it, kind of way. Just like, eh, okay, Thor: The Dark World, whatever. <laughs> um, we had Morbius. We had Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was which made money, but people weren't super thrilled about it. Like it was really mixed following. Thor: Love and Thunder, Terrible genuinely movie, bad yeah. movie, and a lot of people thought so. Uh, we just started to get uh, several in a row. And then Black Panther Wakanda Forever came out. I, I quite like it. Messy, but I quite like it. But then we go back to Quantumania. People are still underwhelmed. And now it's just the general consensus belief that a big budget superhero movie is a sure thing. I think we've lost that. Yeah, it doesn't mean they won't all be hits. It doesn't mean we that it, the genre is worth abandoning in any meaningful way. It just means that it is no longer the absolute guarantee that these will do great numbers. Mm-hmm. Audiences aren't believing that, and I think studios are starting to lose some conviction in that as well. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, Warner Brothers, this is kind of all they have <laughs> after the takeover. Like this is all they've doubled down on yeah. is. All we know for our movies is we're going to do a whole new rebooted superhero universe, and you may have missed your window. Maybe they'll spike it back up. Maybe if we get a couple of really good movies in a row, even if they start, even if they underwhelm initially, if the word of mouth is really good, people forget sometimes that Batman Begins made money, but it didn't make a billion dollars. It was actually a pretty modest hit. But then it was so popular, people liked it so much when they did give it a chance that The Dark Knight was like the biggest opening of all time. Yeah. So it could come up again, but I think we are at the very least experiencing a lull. And I think Marvel is partly to blame for this. I think DC has done nothing to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, if you... It, it's just like when uh, Pixar finally started making not very good movies consistently. Yeah. All of a sudden, well, they're not going to always make a billion dollars, are they? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it doesn't mean they're not worth making. It just means we might need to diversify a bit more. Yeah, try to find but, what people are interested in outside of this. And that is an exciting time. I think it's exciting because uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, like ambitious new things. Hopefully. And what I think we're going to see is the rise of something people don't expect. Um, Wouldn't that be I'm, cool? I'm gunning for the uh, celebrity-laced murder mysteries, which Dude, we've seen a lot of in recent years. That really spiked. Honestly, yeah. I love that. Mm. I I would love it if if we get you know we get the occasional big 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 spectacular your Top Guns your your mm. Act, avatars all the, all the action yeah you know your special effects your, pictures, your big yeah. let's go to a theater and treat it like an amusement park right kind of movies but I would love it if like we just said hey let's just get comfy with the mid ranges 
Mm. You know, let's get comfy with something like the John Wick movies, which have that spectacular, but they don't cost $200 million. They cost a lot. They cost that much. Yeah. They didn't used to cost anything. John Wick 1, I think, barely almost went straight to video. Like, it's something that's manageable. Those, like, big celebrity get-togethers where we're all going to do a murder mystery. Everyone likes those. When they're when they're oh. even when they're even halfway well written, everyone likes them. Do that. That's what you do with Scooby Doo, by the way. <laughs> I have a People celebrity for, murder mystery. They yeah. always had celebrity guests on Scooby Doo the animated series. They fucking had Batman on there for Christ's sake. Do do Scooby Doo with a whole bunch of celebrities playing themselves. That would be lovely. Everyone would enjoy that. Anyway, there are places to go. I look forward to being surprised by where we go next. Uh, Superhero movies might kick back up again and might actually... I don't think they're going away anytime soon. I think they make enough money even when they don't do well that everyone's going to be pretty committed to them. But yeah, this might be the well, this At the very yeah. least, the lull. I, I, other things... Um... Yeah, the whole thing with Warner Brothers, uh, they're, uh, they canceled Batgirl. They're, yeah. they're shutting down this particular arm of it. You said, uh, you know, we might get another Shazam, but they actually, we're not. Mm. Uh, they're, they've, there's this new well, studio mandate where they're kind of ending this particular storyline. On the other hand, there has been some talk that they're going to keep some of the actors around. And I think what we're just going to see is at the end of the new Flash movie, mm. where he's, he's going through the multiverse... He's going to come back and the whole status quo has changed and some people are going to be different, some people are going to be the same. I just, I think that's when we're going to have some sense of what they're actually doing. Is that the end or is that a new beginning? Is that going to shuffle things around? I think that's probably... They've put a new Superman film into production. Um, Superman. Like, the the Ur hero. And uh, we'll see what enthusiasm is like. Yeah. If if and if they can't sell Superman, yeah, they haven't been selling <laughs> Superman for a while. Actually, yeah. like even Man of Steel, which I liked more than you do, that didn't. Man of Steel didn't make it. Didn't, here's the deal: when sadly, when a big studio makes a big giant superhero movie, they're looking to crack a billion dollars. Like that's yeah. the goal. Superman couldn't crack a billion dollars. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman together couldn't crack a billion dollars. Yep. That's before Justice League. Somewhere there's enthusiasm lacking. Now, it might just be we haven't found the right take on it, and maybe they'll nail it. And I hope well, so, because I like that's, Superman. That's their hope, anyway. Well, I they hope so. I, wanna, I want the, the movie right to be bad. I would love to see. I still feel like we've never seen the perfect Superman movie. Not to my way of thinking, anyway. I mean, that first Richard Donner movie is pretty great. The first half is amazing. Okay. The second half, I have issues with, mostly uh, with the yeah. Lex Luthor stuff. I feel like we never had a great Lex Luthor in, in live action, at least not live action uh, films. Um, but I still feel like someone out there is going to nail Superman the way that... And uh, there are multiple different takes on the character. I feel like Batman has been nailed multiple times in different ways. Mm. You know, I think Batman Mask of the Phantasm nails... Batman, but so does the Dark Knight, and those are different versions of that character. So, I would love it if we finally got a version of Superman where I was like, "I like everything you're doing. <laughs> I, I think you just you've got even if they're I don't care if there's the plot or whatever like that. I feel like you get the character, and you're not and, and the ancillary characters around them, and you're just doing a good job. I would be so happy with that. Anyway, we needed to move on. That was a very long conversation about Shazam: Fury of the Gods, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's a it's a step down. 
But uh, hopefully not not well, ruined for the future. It, it's a step down, and I feel like the, it, it's yeah. indicative of something larger yeah. that's happening here. We will see. Anyway, uh, next up, we're going to talk about the big Hulu release. Kind of just have to say like that. Hulu. Hulu. Uh, they've got a new real-life murder mystery movie. They, they made it into a not-documentary, but a movie-movie. Uh, <laughs> it's a serial killer thriller called Boston Strangler. It is about, about the Boston, the Boston Strangler. Strangler. Boston uh, Strangler was a serial killer who attacked uh, people with stranglings in Boston and the outlying areas uh, in the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, I believe that's the entire timeline. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and this movie uh, is told from the perspective of the reporters mm-hmm. who are working on the story, played by Kira Knightley and Carrie Coon. Yeah, who, who are. Uh, this is the first time I've really been kind of impressed with Kira Knightley. I oh, feel like she's this is the first time. Really, this is the first time. I feel like she's you know funny, affable. She has that kind of movie star mm-hmm. presence where uh, she's just sort of very uh, alluring as a screen persona. Sure. So even when uh, I've, I've I liked her in Atonement as well, I thought that was a pretty okay. good movie it's about Pride and Prejudice. Uh, she, she is a serviceable Elizabeth Bennet. <laughs> what uh, about what about that uh, that, that that whole movie? beautifully serviceable that it's like <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's right. like this kind of good baseline reading for pride and i Prejudice. think that's fair uh, for me the best kira knightley performance dangerous method oh you know what i i, I didn't finish that one i think I, she's I only saw bits exceptional of that one in that movie, okay. and i will go i will go to bat with her any uh, day of the week she actually has like a good boston accent in this one which mm-hmm. i really appreciate yeah. um but yeah she plays uh the real life reporter who is covering the boston strangler and the boston strangler was uh committing all of these crimes, actually killing people. Mm -hmm. And uh, the story became less and less about what the Boston Strangler was doing and uh, over the course of of her investigative reporting about how the cops were completely bungling things. Yeah. That they weren't really investigating too hard. Yeah. They were, they were getting distracted that, yeah. by shit that was clearly their own pet projects. I was a bit to mention mm-hmm. the movie. It's like, yeah, we're going to do raids on all of the gay clubs. I'm like, the fuck does that have to do with anything? Not, not a, nothing at there's all. Not, yeah. there's, there's nothing, nothing leads you and, there. That's just something you wanted to do and you can use it as an excuse. And, and she goes yeah. to her boss, Perry White, who's played by Chris, <laughs> Chris Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Chris Cooper, uh, the, the 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 long-suffering editor of the newspaper, uh, is a role that everyone likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Keaton did it in Spotlight. James mm-hmm. Robards did it. Was it James? No, Jason Robards. Jason in Robards. All the, all the presidents. Oh yeah, yeah. It was Jason, Jason Robards. Robards and all the presidents. Matter. I think he got an Oscar for that. Um, it's great. It's yeah. a great. It's a great. Uh, uh, part La- of Lawrence Fishburne literally played Perry White yep. in, in one of the Superman movies. So did Jackie um, Cooper. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so did Frank Langella. It, it, Weird it's, casting, but yeah. It's, yeah it, it's a cliche kind of a role, and Chris yeah. Cooper brings the appropriate energy without making it anything less than a cliche. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a lot about this movie that is really off the rack. It's kind of familiar uh, it's, in its presentation. And, and not just because it looks and feels exactly like David Fincher's Zodiac. Ah, uh, I think Zodiac is a lot better shot than this. So, well, but here, this film yeah. is clearly going for that look. Yeah, that, that uh, very kind of dour, creepy, like like sort yeah. of a, a bit hazy, sort of uh, shadowy mm. photography. Especially when they're doing some investigative stuff, there is yeah. a, a, an almost beat for beat repeat of the um, the basement scene from Zodiac. It doesn't go on as long as in Zodiac, yeah. but basically, like I'm in that I'm in the the house or the apartment. Of one of the suspected killers, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you come in with me you to the come, back?" Yeah, come. And she's like, "I'm not going to 
do that. Yeah, in, in Zodiac, it's longer and creepier. Come with so me down to the creepy. basement. That whole sequence is fucking amazing. What's his name? Richard Fleischer? Richard Fleischer. Richard Fleischer, yeah. No, no, Richard Fleischer's the director. Oh, you're right. That's, um... Uh, um Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer, yeah. excuse me. Richard Fleischer, Charles Fleischer is a, the actor Charles yeah. Fleischer. Uh, yeah. Richard Fleischer uh, directed a lot of movies, but you're right. Charles Fleischer. Uh, was, Charles Fleischer. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, and, he, uh, he was Roger Rabbit. Yeah, uh, and uh, but he also was a good actor in his own right. Uh, yeah, and, like, like in live uh, action as well. As oh, name, I did yeah. the artwork myself. Like, uh, yeah. Really, really <laughs> wonderful scene in Zodiac. Really and, casting. Charles, Charles Fleischer to play that character. Really good, good idea casting. So they're they're clearly going for that vibe. They're, they're trying yeah. to recreate the magic of David Fincher's Zodiac, which is pretty old at this point. That came out in 2007. Honestly, it's fair game. Uh, yeah. I think it's fair. It's, it's one thing so, to like point out. Like One thing I noticed when I was watching Shazam! Fury of the Gods, for example, mm. is that a lot of that plot is almost beat for beat Hellboy 2. Yeah, pretty much. You know, like, yeah. oh, so there are these well, little gods who got kicked out of the real yeah. world, and one of the characters falls in love with one of them, and, like, and like, then they create like a big plant thing in the middle of the city, and I'm like, this is Hellboy 2. Mm. But as clear as that is in my head, yeah, Cowboy 2 is 15 years ago now. Zodiac is about the same, 15 to 20. It's fair game. Yeah. It might be distracting, yeah, so but it's fair game. What I appreciate about about the boss, and they eventually zero in on uh, one of the suspects. And, yeah, because uh, the, because without giving away too much, there well, is a guy who was arrested well, like very famous. We, we can say so. who it is because we know who the Boston Strangler was at this point. Well, or, there's, there's or rather, some, there's some debate. They uh, they have used DNA evidence mm. to connect the the actual suspect to one of the thirteen murders. Yes, not the other ones. Also worth noting that DNA evidence isn't as uh, isn't as bulletproof as you as they would have you believe on the news, exactly, or on the, so, or on the cop shows. So, so there's there's salt, a lot of yeah. uncertainty as to who the actual Boston Strangler is, and what yeah. I appreciate is there's a bit of a twist, and I don't want to say too much about it, but I have to bring it up because it's the most interesting thing about the movie. About there's a, like actually some motivation given to the police mm. other than mere laziness and incompetence mm. for why they allowed the Boston Strangler to keep on operating. Mm. And it goes to something very uh, cynically systemic about the world and about the way these crimes are sensationalized mm-hmm. to allow other evils to sort of go, go unchecked. Mm. And that was the element I liked the most about really? Boston okay. Strangler. Uh, I thought the performance was very good. I thought the, uh, good across the board. everything Everyone in terms of, in terms of the way these kinds of police procedurals go, there's something very comforting about it because you get to see talented people doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. And even though the beats are all familiar yeah. in Boston Strangler, these are all things you might see on Law & Order. These are all things you might see in any given police procedural movie or TV show. Right. They're satisfying. They're, they're satisfying. And when they're done well, they're exciting to watch. Here's the thing that I think a lot of the police procedurals that we enjoy on TV, for example, your Law and Orders, um, they typically present the idea, the fantasy, really, uh-huh. uh, that the, the Law and Order works. Yeah. The system works. That Law and Order will prevail. Everyone's at least trying to do their best, and in the end, the the bad people, which I say in air quotes, will be caught, and everything will be fine at the end of an hour. Mm. And there's something kind of comforting about that. It's propaganda, but there's something comforting about that. I understand the appeal. What Zodiac did was they took that kind of procedural approach, focused on reporters rather than cops, although Mark Ruffalo plays the cop in that one. Um, but the thing with the Zodiac killer is, quite notoriously, they never caught the guy. Mm. 
We do not know for certain who the Zodiac Killer is any more than we know for certain who Jack the Ripper is. There are a lot of theories, but there's no way that anyone knows of truly knowing. Yeah, Yeah, of truly knowing, we'll probably never know. And and that is deeply dissatisfying. Hmm. To dedicate all your energy, hell, just over a movie, and then find out at the end that we'll never know. Yeah, that, no, there's, there's, it's, and, and but imagine in real life when you dedicated years to it, hmm. and you'll never know. There's, that's what Zodiac uh, is about, and that's what makes Zodiac uh, so great. I think I love the scene in Zodiac where they go to the National in Westwood, and oh, yeah. the National's gone now, which is yeah. a pity because it was a beautiful theater. Oh, it was the prettiest uh, yeah. fucking theater in town. I would I would go to ba- I would rather go to the National than the Gramas Chinese. I yeah. just thought it was a nicer theater. Uh, but they go to the National Theater, and they're they're in within the movie. Uh, yeah. The characters in the movie are watching Dirty Harry, which yeah. came out, which was inspired by the Zodiac killer. Yeah, the, the Zodiac and, killings uh, went on so long without you know any movement that the Hollywood did the Hollywood. Version of it, yeah, and, uh, and the cop who was investigating saw the movie, and, and uh, the reporter who was investigating it, the Jake Gyllenhaal character, uh, yeah. says like, "Hey, so what are we going to do about actually catching him?" And the cop just says, "The Mark Ruffalo character's like, there's a movie already, yeah. it's done. Like yeah. Hollywood already did it. It's it's well past us finding who did this. At yeah, this it's point. just it's just grown out of the way. And indeed, there were uh, multiple movies uh, directly inspired by the Boston Strangler. There was one called The Strangler." Starring Victor Buono, which um, was made before we knew much of anything about it, really. And a lot of it was based on theories. And rather than try to get into any kind of hot water, they moved the character to a different city and differentiated it. But clearly they knew what they were doing. There was also a Tony Curtis movie. Called Boston Strangler. Where he played the actual guy who was eventually, uh, uh, who eventually gave a confession. I've actually never seen that movie. It's my understanding it's not very good. Um... But I've, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a bit in this movie where they address that in a very Zodiac way. Um, Zodiac is great. Boston Strangler is... They keep going back to Zodiac because that's what this well, is clearly that, cribbing from. It's but yeah. very direct. It's like... It's inviting the comparison. Yeah. It's structurally similar it's to Zodiac. I think hoping you'll think about Zodiac. I think it is. And honestly, this is the exact kind of movie... That probably should go straight to streaming. Because mm. I think in a theater, if you watch something that's this derivative, you went all the way out of your way, you bought the, the overpriced ticket, you got parking, you bought too expensive food, and now you're here with a kind of like a, a, like a classy but still a knockoff Zodiac. It's going to be more disappointing. At home, you can kind of appreciate that, hey, this knockoff Zodiac has some good talent on it. Yeah, <laughs> It kind of just shifts the perspective a little bit. So as a Hulu release, it's like a, you know, the glorified made-for-TV movie, this isn't bad. Mm. It's not particularly good. I wouldn't say it's great by any stretch of the imagination, but everyone did a decent job on it. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that they they eventually have a perspective, the movie does, over how the actual Zodiac, uh, not Zodiac, how the uh, Boston, Boston Strangler yeah. killings, what actually happened. That is... Not typically considered the accepted explanation, yeah, even though it has been speculated upon a lot, and indeed inspired other stuff. Like um, I think um, William Goldman wrote a novel that was inspired by one of the uh, one of the outlier theories okay. of uh, the Boston Strangler that eventually got turned into a movie as well. Um, so I guess kudos for the swing. Um, you, I, I honestly don't know enough about the case to know. 
like do I believe that or not? Uh-huh. Like I don't know. Like I I don't know if this is is this irresponsible to to speculate yeah. to speculate this hard and to basically say in the movie we think this is what happened. Is that irresponsible? I, is it daring? I appreciate the temerity. Anyway. I appreciate the temerity, but I honestly don't know if it's responsible, and that's something I just I cannot speak to. Okay. And I'd be very curious to hear from not just people who are like enthusiasts, like a legitimate experts, people who like study these things yeah. for a living. Like, I would be very curious to hear how like what how do you feel about the ending of the movie Boston Strangler? Mm. I'd be very very curious to hear about that or read that article. Yeah, uh, but that's not that's not my place to say, um, and I definitely don't know if about it to have a strong opinion about it. But I'm fascinated, and I think that it's kind of sad that that's the most fascinating thing about the movie to me mm. is I kind of want to read the ancillary articles from people <laughs> who may or may not be mad. <laughs> I'm not sure that's probably what they were going for. Mm. Uh, but yeah, listen. If you if you like true crime type stuff, um, this it, is quite, it, this is okay. It'll, it'll scratch the edge. It'll scratch. Sure, it'll yeah. scratch the edge. I think that's the best way to put it. It'll scratch the edge. It won't. I don't. I don't think it'll dazzle you in any particular way. But I think it'll scratch the edge. Mm. Um, all right. Now that is it for the movies you saw this week, isn't it? Yeah. Sadly, I only saw the two this week. Okay. Well, I'm going to. I have three more movies to get through, and I'll try to make them kind of quick. Uh, the first one, and this is this is the best movie I saw this week. Okay. Uh, it's a film called La Seville uh, from a director named Teodora uh, Mihai. Okay. Making sure I'm reading that correctly. Um, it is a film that is also based on real crimes. Uh, this is actually based off of uh, cartel kidnappings in Mexico. Uh, the director uh, wanted to do a documentary uh, about a woman whose child was kidnapped went to pay the ransom mm. and never got the kid back and then did everything they could to try to stop the cartels. Uh, in real life, not to what happens in the movie, that person died shortly after their meeting and so they decided it was too dangerous to make the documentary. So they no. did a fictionalized version of it. All right. Uh, this uh, played at the Cannes Film Festival in 2021. It is only just now coming out. Uh, and it is quite excellent. It is about... Uh, a mother whose daughter, who's either like a very young adult or, or like a older teenager, uh, goes out one day. She's going to go out on a date and never comes home. Mm. Uh, finally, she is confronted by some ruffians who say, we've kidnapped your daughter. Uh, if you give us 200,000 pesos and your husband's truck, mm-hmm. we will give her back to you. She doesn't have 200,000 pesos. In fact, she's estranged from her husband, so she doesn't even know if she can even get the truck. But she contacts him after some t- after some talking because he doesn't believe that he thinks she's in on it. The daughter, she's able to get him to like pool their resources, but they don't have enough money. They've got like one hundred ninety thousand pesos, and that's not the deal. But the guys come, they take the money in the truck so fast that they kind of didn't have a moment to say we didn't have enough money, and then the daughter never shows up. Hmm. The daughter never shows up. They ask around. Nobody knows anything about it. And then she gets starts getting more and more desperate. And she starts talking to the police, even though everyone tells her you shouldn't. That's a bad idea. They'll find out. They start harassing her more. Finally, she ends up talking to some soldiers in the area. And the soldiers are like, yeah, we've been wanting to take down the cartel for a while, but we didn't have any uh, good info. So if you can give us some good info, we, we could we could try. Mm-hmm. And indeed, they start taking her along with them on runs, and they start doing more and more shadier things, like 
torture Jeez. and murder. And she's just keeping getting swept up, getting in deeper and deeper and deeper in this thing. And you say this is fictionalized. How much of this is I don't, from fact? I cannot say how much of the specifics are from fact. However, apparently it is very well, very well researched and is based on specific people. Uh, but I'm not an expert in this. It It's interesting because it really walks an awesome line between feeling genuine and well-researched while also taking on kind of the art house version of a movie like Taken where, okay. because we're used to that in a thriller capacity. Oh, they, they kidnapped my son or my daughter or whatever, and I'm going to go after them. And we're used to seeing this, like it's going to be bullets and all this kind of stuff. And that's not what this movie is, but it's got all that intensity because just as much as on the line. Yeah. And every single thing this woman does, and she's, She's tough, but she's only tough because she's doing this for her daughter. Yeah. She doesn't have any paramilitary training. She's works at a shop. Like, she just... This is just her being determined. So it's actually more exciting in a lot of ways than something like Taken because it feels like if that actually happened in real life, it would probably be a lot more like this. Yeah. And that's genuinely harrowing. And they do a lot of really, really good character work. With her and her husband and the people that they know, some of whom it turns out aren't very trustworthy, may have been involved. Um, it, it just paints it all very, very beautifully. It's a long movie. It's over two hours. Uh, and frankly, it feels a little bit, okay. mostly in a good way, in a way that feels like we were, like, we're really going through a major epic experience where we begin the movie is very much not where we end the movie. And it feels like we really went on a journey, and I appreciate that. But maybe it's a little long. Okay. It might be a minor critique. Uh, but that being said, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep this this pretty tight because I don't have any notes and I'm not an expert in the material. Uh, excellently crafted. Okay. Wonderful lead performance in particular uh, by an actor named Arcelia Ramirez. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, don't let this fly by you. I'm sure it's not playing in like theaters everywhere. But when you have an opportunity to see La Seville, I highly recommend you do. Okay. Because it's excellently made. There you go. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have a heist-slash-survivalist thriller called Inside, and which has a really neat premise. Uh, this is from a director uh, named Vasilis uh, Katsupis. I'm probably butchering that, and I apologize mm -hmm. if that's the case. Uh, it stars Willem Dafoe and pretty much just Willem Dafoe. Okay. He is an art thief. He's a high-class art thief, and he is breaking into the ultra-expensive penthouse apartment, basically like the top floor or two floors of this Skyrise building. Uh-huh. Uh, he's breaking in to steal uh, some valuable paintings, but the whole house is, like, full of weird and bizarre and fancy art. Okay. He breaks in, he takes the paintings, and he's about to leave, but then as he's leaving... The security uh, uh, gets triggered, and the whole house, uh, the whole penthouse goes into lockdown. And okay. now he can't get out through the doors. He can't get out through the windows. He can't get out. He's just trapped in there. He's trapped in there, and he ends up being trapped in there for weeks. <laughs> so he has to start rationing food, he, that kind there, of stuff. And here's the thing. That guy was off on a business trip. There's almost no food. There's no running water. There's like a reflecting pool, but that's all he's got. Mm. Uh, 
And the thermostat is broken and the temperature keeps going up. Oh no! <laughs> so it's a it's a cool setup, it's an interesting setup, and the whole thing is he eventually has to use all of his cunning and all of this incredibly expensive art to solve problems. Oh. So like, oh, this is a $2 million painting. Well, right now I need a ladder, so you are a ladder right now, and I don't care if I break you. <laughs> and all that stuff is really neat. What a great premise. You come up I, with some love... interesting artwork, and like you've got some interesting problems. What a cool idea for a, for a low-budget thriller. I, I love movies that uh, are really good about resourcefulness. Yeah. Like, really taking advantage of uh, the location and figuring out ways to solve complicated problems. Yeah, uh, All it's, is Lost is a great example. Yeah. With uh, um, Robert Redford, where he's no. alone on a boat and the boat is yeah. sinking and it's just him and his cunning and that's no. it. That's or all or even, like, a, a Castaway. Sure. Uh, just a, a movie of somebody in a desperate situation mm. and uh, they have to use their wits to survive. And if mm. if they're doing it right, those kinds of movies make you feel smarter. Yeah. It's like, oh, yes, what a clever thing. And yeah. you're just sort of in awe of the cleverness. It doesn't really matter what... The story or the the like the setup is as, all you need. As, as long as as long as you buy the premise, yeah, uh, then it's just a matter of how do you get out of this escape room, basically. And yeah. I'm excited to see how you would do that. Uh, what this movie has going for it more than anything else is Willem Dafoe. Hmm. Willem Dafoe can it's, carry it's, a whole movie just by himself. So he's good, just yeah. that interesting an actor. He's great the entire way through this thing. He's wonderful. No demerits to Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is great. The other two things we talked about that this movie needs. Uh-huh. A premise that you accept, and uh, you know, survivalist stuff that makes you feel smart, uh-huh. or what this movie is lacking. Uh-huh. It's really frustrating. On one hand, just the basic premise is kind of confusing because, okay, so you broke into this penthouse apartment to steal some paintings, and then the security alarm went off, and now you're stuck in there for weeks. That is a high-tech security system, and it alerted no one? Hmm. The cops weren't informed. The owner of the apartment wasn't informed. The building security wasn't informed. It's not like it just went on for a second and then you turned it off. The entire fucking place went into lockdown. Yeah. And that is never addressed. And it's just the thing where you're the one who brought this up. This is your fundamental premise. You have to address it. Yeah. Otherwise, we're distracted by it. And when the entire movie is just Willem Dafoe wandering around a place all by himself thinking we have time to think too so we need to accept your premise and we need to think that willem dafoe is going to think of things before we do Mm. and he does not there are quite a few things he does in this movie that i'm like that would be the first thing i would do right and then he does it like a week and a half later or something like that and you're like why wouldn't that literally be the first thing you did? Mm. Like, for example, here's something he never thinks to do, for example. Like, when it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Uh-huh. And he's got a refrigerator, but there's nothing in it. Okay. But, like, it's getting so cold that he's, like, opening up the freezer and he's, like, licking off the condensation. Okay. And I'm like, okay. Uh, you know what you do if you want cold stuff? Take the water from the reflecting pool and put mm. it in the freezer. Yeah. Then you've got ice cubes and cold water. You oh, know what he literally just... never thinks to do? There's that. Pool, He's yeah. licking condensation off of it, but he never thinks to put water in there. And I'm like, you would fail any LucasArts point-and-click adventure game. That's not, not clever thinking. So oh, it's frustrating. It's all these little things on but a fundamental level. You well, know? That's, that's the error, isn't it? Yeah. If, you're, if you're smarter than the character, yeah. why don't they just blank? Exactly. Yeah. And like, and again, there, there's a couple. There's like one thing that was the one of the first things I'd think to do. Hmm. Eventually he does it. 
And it goes really, really bad, but it goes bad in a way that I don't believe. Mm. I don't believe that this system would work that way. Okay. What you, you spent millions of dollars building the system, and yeah, I know it's haywire. But you know when, when like security devices go haywire, you know who notices? The security company? Mm. They would like call. Like I know people who have like modest houses. Uh-huh. Not multi-billion dollar houses like this fucking tower heist apartment this guy is in. But like, you know, just the house. Mm. And they have a security system on their house. More power to them, perfectly reasonable. Uh, when they enter the house, and if they don't press the, the security key fast enough, they get a phone call within minutes. Mm. From the security people say, hey, are you in the house? Are you okay? Do you need us to send someone over? That's how they work. This guy sets off the security alarm... It's really fucking... It's so loud he has to put, like, stuff in his ears and he has to, like, knock out all of the sonic devices yeah. in order to hear himself think. So it takes multiple minutes to do that. Security's never alerted. The people mm-hmm. who own the building are never alerted. The person who owns the apartment is never alerted. He's just fucking there. Yeah. Now, ultimately, this movie has some kind of heady ideas about, like, what is art? What is the true value of art? I appreciate all of that. That's cool. Willem Dafoe, great. But when your movie is this simple and the simple stuff is the stuff that doesn't work, Mm. it's really distracting. Yeah. And I find it very, very annoying. And that sucks. Because I was really on board with it. I thought it was a neat premise. You got the right actor for it. It couldn't make it work. That's too bad. Yeah. Bums me out. I'm so sorry. So am I. All right, uh, and, then, and you saw a fifth one. So I yeah, also saw a fifth you're, one. You're way ahead of me on this. I, you this know what? Week, it's so. usually you. You usually have more time than I do, but this was one of those weeks. Um, so the other film that I saw is a coming of age film called Wildflower. It's directed by someone named Matt Smuckler, and it stars Kiernan Shipka from uh, the uh, reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Okay, which I didn't see. I heard was good. I didn't see it. Uh, she plays a daughter. Of two intellectually disabled parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, her father, uh, Dash Miok. Uh, I like Dash Miok. Yep. Been a while since I've seen him in a prominent role in anything, but you might remember him from things like The Thin Red Line or Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and uh, the woman who plays uh, her mother, Samantha Hyde, I believe is actually intellectually disabled in real life. Okay. Um, it's a coming-of-age movie about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at first, her parents are raising her and things are quite nice, but there comes a point when she's rather young when she realizes that she's taking care of her parents, not the other way around. Wow, okay. And that's rough. It's when uh, they get her a dog, she loves her dog, but her parents can't be trusted not to like not let the dog run away. Yeah. And she has to, that's a awakening for her, and she mm-hmm. realizes that she has more responsibilities now than her parents do. And as a result, she's had to grow up really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And that's doing a real number on her, and it would. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it handles it fairly. It doesn't treat her parents like a burden. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, this is the situation that they're in. And now she's wondering, like, I would love to be able to go to college and live my life, but am I being irresponsible if I leave my parents? Mm-hmm. And so that's the situation that she's in. It's kind of familiar uh-huh. in terms of that stuff. Uh, it probably doesn't help that it's coming out after CODA, which... Uh, was about a different disability, but it was still about someone who was raised in a family of people who, uh, well, they rely on her in some way, and now Mm -hmm. she's debating whether or not to go out into the real world and leave them behind. Do they need her around? Um, 
kind of comes to similar conclusions as Coda did. Coda is an excellent film. Wildflower, just okay. Um, it's got a really good cast. Uh, in addition to uh, Kiernan Shipka, Dash Mihok, uh, it's got Gene Smart. It's got Jackie Weaver. It's got Brad Garrett. It's got Alexandra Daddario. Oh, I like um, Alexandra Daddario. Yeah, those yeah. are all all good actors. Um, there's a really really great scene between Gene Smart and Jackie Weaver. They play uh, Kiernan Shipka's grandmothers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they don't get along. They hate each other. But they finally have one scene together at the end of the movie where they just kind of have it out and have a heart to heart. And like, even if the rest of the movie was bad, it's not. It's not amazing, but it's not bad. Even if the rest of the movie was bad, that scene would be worth it on its own. It's just two great actors having a great scene together. And okay. it's really quite yeah. lovely. Um, the biggest problem with this movie, more than anything else, isn't that it's kind of safe and familiar. I actually think in a weird way that's kind of the movie's selling point. Okay. Is that it's trying to normalize this. It's trying to say this isn't all that weird. It doesn't have to be something that we sensationalize or question. This is just people living their lives and it's perfectly nice and normal. And on that level, it works. It's a little humdrum, but it works. Kiernan Shipka, really solid. I like. I totally see this movie and I'm like, she's gonna be even bigger than this someday. She's okay. gonna be great. The biggest problem with the movie is that it feels like the movie lacks a little bit of confidence in itself. Like it knows that that's a little thin. Uh-huh. So there's a framing device. And the framing device is at the beginning of the movie, Kiernan Shipka is in a coma. And her whole family is really worried about her. They don't know what happened. She was just found, mysteriously, comatose. Um, And so they're all very worried about her. And there's like this social service worker who's like trying to piece together what happened. How did this happen? Was there some negligence involved? Whatever. Um, And so it's kind of framed as a mystery. And the solution to the mystery ultimately doesn't feel like the point of the movie at all. I'm not saying it's okay. a, I'm not saying it's not of interest, but it's not the point of the movie at all. I like that Kiernan Shipka narrates it from a coma, like Glenn Close oh. in Reversal of Fortune. <laughs> like she's actually does like a fun voiceover gig, but it feels like more than anything else, that whole coma storyline is just an excuse to open this movie with a little bit more zazz. Yeah. With a little bit more like dramatic tension than just here's how my parents met. Uh-huh. My grandparents weren't cool with it because they were overprotective and thought that my intellectually disabled parents wouldn't be able to raise me on their own. All mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Well, here I am, and now I'm doing all this stuff. Yeah, it's a little humdrum. It's also mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, the com- the coma thing doesn't help. <laughs> it, it anything, it's it, it only calls attention to it. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a mis uh, that's a bit that's a bit misguided. But it's a sweet film. Mm-hmm. It's a sweet film, and if you like that kind of coming of age thing. Uh, if you like anyone in the cast, if that topic interests you, it's totally worth checking out. Mm. It's just not great. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, that's all I got, too. All right. But, <laughs> so it sounds like we're getting a lot of derivative films this week. If I remember. Yeah. Boston Strangler's derivative of Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shazam is a sequel. Yeah. Uh, derivative, of, uh, derivative of Hellboy 2. There you yeah. go. Uh, and I wouldn't call Wildflower derivative of Coda. I suspect they were probably made closer to each other than we can tell. Yeah, uh, because this this played like at a film festival like less than a year after Coda won okay. Best Picture. So and Coda came out towards the end of that year, unless they saw it at Sundance and were taking a hell of a lot of notes. <laughs> uh, I suspect it's this is just the well, I mean, confluence t- trends. The the things that are passing through the Hollywood system. A lot of uh, mm. producers throughout the the whole studio system. Yeah, 
are all looking for similar things. So that, that's a reason why a lot of similar project uh, projects. Well, and also, and also there's something to be said for a cultural zeitgeist. Everyone's yeah. just got different, this similar stuff on their mind right now, mm-hmm. and so we'll tell similar stories. And so the idea of a coming of age story about uh, growing up in a family where your parents have disabilities, and very specifically, you don't. Hmm. is it sounds interesting yeah it is it's just doing it in this way is already a little form a little formulaic yeah you know just the coming of age story about i'm kind of like embarrassed by my parents that's been done for forever yeah doing it in this context is a little different but outside of that what have you got not much mm-hmm. but again i argue that the point of well, at least one of the points of a movie like this is to present this as normalcy and not as some kind of uh, wow, look at what it's like. Isn't it weird? Like, no, it's actually quite normal. Yeah. You know, it's got its problems, but you have your problems too. So who are you to judge? That kind of thing. And I think on that level it works. It sells that message. It just doesn't necessarily make for the most exciting movie ever. That's too bad. All right. On the critically acclaimed scale, we review films on a scale from C- to C+. C- is below average. C is just average. C- is above average. I'm going to give Wildflower... It, this is the textbook definition of a C. <laughs> it's just... It does everything fine... It doesn't do anything particularly badly. It's got one misguided bit. It's got one particularly good performance. It's in the middle. It's a C. Uh, Inside. Much as it hurts me to say it, it's a C-. It's a solid premise. Great lead performance. But it just doesn't come together. And it's really frustrating. I'm so sorry. Uh, La Seville. Big ol' C+. Hooray. Excellent drama. Genuinely thrilling. Uh feels important and impactful and i would highly recommend anyone check it out uh let's see here boston strangler whitney uh i see as well as a police procedural it functions perfectly well yeah some good performances some uh, moody lighting and Mm -hmm. uh, you know good good stressful moments and i think it has an interesting theme uh especially you know some of the things it brings up at the end about uh, misogyny yeah um but it's not enough to really elevate it into something that feels really kind of properly cinematic. It does yeah. have that TV movie feel to it. Not that it's cheap, just in terms of its level of ambition. Yeah. It seems a little bit low. It's uh, basically so, like, here's what we think happened. Yeah. That's and, kind and, of it. Like, and, it doesn't yeah, have a so, larger point to make in a way that feels grand in any kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a C. Uh, uh, not, yeah. not a, a dismissive one, but, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, no one in this movie is doing anything badly. Yeah. Uh, some people are doing a better job than others, but like, yeah, it's just basically, here's what we think happened with the Boston Strangler, and it never really feels bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, but it was of interest, mm-hmm. and if that has any interest to you, that might be more of a C plus to you. But for us, it's a C. And then lastly, Shazam: Fury of the Gods. I'm going to give this a very low C. A C. Okay. Not a C minus. It's not bad, but it's definitely a huge step down from the original, mm. and it's not. Doing everything great, yeah, but it's, I, it's not like I didn't enjoy it at all. I just never really felt like it, it came together. It, it's really bland. It's really yeah. uh, artificial. It's in that yeah. that off off the rack sort of boilerplate Hollywood thriller kind of a way. It feels like they took you. something special and tried to make it bland, which is annoying. I don't think they tried to. I think they just didn't like their heart just wasn't in it. I don't know. I, th- so I think in an I'm attempt to make the small story make it more of a spectacle, yeah. it kind of just I, I don't, robbed it of what I, I don't special. hate it. I don't, but I definitely don't love it. It's a, definitely a disappointment because I, I do love the first Shazam. I, I, I think it's like, you know, top, top mm-hmm. 10 superhero movies kind of. I, and you know what? At least it's uh, not retroactively harmed by anything that happens in this movie. It doesn't mm-hmm. like, recontextualize something that we liked before and now we don't like it now yeah which can't yeah. happen in a sequel everyone That's always true. says true. well the sequel 
doesn't hurt the original. Sometimes no, it, it can. Does. Watch Highlander 2 at some point. Watch The um, Boy 2. <laughs> I didn't see The Boy 2. The too. Boy is a great like the thriller. Boy. And then you find out some stuff about like, oh no, here's what really happened in that first movie. In Brahms The Boy 2. And I'm like, wow, not only is your sequel bad, but you made a really great original movie bad. Hmm. So now I don't even like the original anymore. Because <laughs> now I know what you actually thought you were doing in it. And it wasn't what I liked about it at all, actually. It feels mm-hmm. like you did it by accident now. And now, every time I watch it, I'm going to remember what you told me in the sequel. And I'm going to think to myself, instead of liking this, it actually sucks. <laughs> so, there's that. So at least Shazam didn't do that. Shazam didn't do that. So yeah. I'm going to give it a C. I'll also, a, a, an unenthused C. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't do anything special. Anyway, next time on the Critically Acclaimed uh, podcast, we're going to be reviewing John Wick Chapter 4. That's right. Remember when they had subtitles? John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum? I remember that. Yeah. They kind of gave up on that, didn't they? The series is getting really ridiculous. Uh, It has been for a while. Well, I mean, John Wick... Pretty much from two on. John Wick started pretty big. Yeah. And and that was its appeal. It's like, oh, this is like a little little bit heightened. Yeah. Yeah. at the end of John Wick 2, everyone in New York was an assassin, so Every, yeah, they, they got pretty insane pretty fast. there enough work to go around? Like, I don't buy there, it! There are more, more people uh, working as assassins than there yeah. are people to kill. My theory is the only the only way the John Wick universe makes sense, that there is enough work for all those assassins to go around, mm-hmm. is if the very first person in the entire world who ever died of natural causes was John Wick's wife. <laughs> like she was the first one yeah, it was yeah. like wow i didn't know we could do that i we were out here yeah. killing everyone <laughs> and uh that, that second movie eh. the third movie uh the first 30 minutes of that third movie is the best movie of the year uh, I, it's the best action movie uh, i've ever seen everything, that first 30 everything minutes. after oh the, that 30 minutes uh, it gets pretty ridiculous uh, the dog fight's cool which one the one where holly berry gets in a shootout and she's using her dogs as well Oh, that yeah. That bit's fucking badass. That's, that, that's, that's pretty funny. I'll give you that part's badass. But, but yeah, anyway. where they, like, somehow go back in time. There's this weird supernatural thing going on where they're going I, out into the desert. They don't, they don't really go back in time. They don't go thing. back in time. No, they don't go back in time, but, but there's some, some weird surreal shit that they do not explain well. Yeah, like, yeah. there's something supernatural. And now yeah. we're up to chapter four. We'll see how insane that gets. We'll see how nuts it gets. I'm looking forward to it. Um, at, at the very least, hopefully there'll be some good action sequences. Uh, but in any case, that is it for Quickly Claim. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you again to all of our patrons. If you would like to help the show out, if you are in the position to do so, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network that is where we have a whole bunch of exclusive shows where we talk about things like star trek and the step up movies and every single episode of the adam west batman and we do commentary tracks we just did one for pretty and bank uh we do discord hangouts we're gonna have another one later this week um yeah it's a great place to go so thank you to all of our patrons and thank Mm -hmm. you to everybody else who wants to sign up uh, we're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Babiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. And if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this podcast with us, if you would like to uh, ask us any questions whatsoever, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. All right. And... Uh, that, 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 that's it basically that's, that's it, it. Yeah. that's the end of the show uh, never forget everyone's a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what